0: How you guys doing tonight? Thank you guys so much for coming. I really, really appreciate it. It's NBA All-Star Weekend in Chicago. It's the first time since 1988. City's electric. I feel something in the air. All the, fl- all the fans, all the players. It's awesome to be here. You guys might know me. My name is Matt Sherman. I'm a DJ producer here in Chicago. I'm also the host of a podcast called Sherman the Booth. All right, I wasn't expecting that. Thanks. Just released episode 98, actually, this week, so that's pretty insane. Got a few guests in the crowd here, so I appreciate you guys coming. That means a lot. I also started the Lavender Group with my friend Tony Ferrara. We're a lifestyle events collective and an artist management group. Say hey to Tony. Hey, Tony. He loves that. Hey, Tony. <laughs> guys, we're here tonight to launch a new panel series called Verified. A Verified features conversations with leaders in different industries. Tonight's topic is event curation. Now, I'm really excited about this because the 3s guys here have proven over a long period of time to made a significant impact in multiple verticals under the event curation umbrella, including entertainment, arts, fashion, and, of course, music. Now, how it's going to go tonight is some introductions from the guys, and then we're going to go behind the scenes on how to throw a great party. Really excited about this, so, again, thank you guys so much. Before we get started, I do want to say thank you to the Virgin Hotel it means so much to partner with such a reputable brand. And it means even more for someone like Roman and everybody else behind the scenes to believe in me and this idea. So thank you guys so much. Let's make some noise for the guests right now. We're going to do some introductions. Clay,
1: take us away, man. Hey, I'm Clayton from the Music Trust. How, how deep you want me to get with this? Pretty deep. Backpack. No, just where are you from? Oh. <laughs> uh, I'm from Chicago, northwest suburbs. Live in the city for the last 20 years. And yeah, awesome.
2: John how's it going? Um, I'm John Cote, so I've been in Chicago since a long time. <laughs> so <laughs> I've been here for like 20, 23 years. I've been in Chicago, so I moved there post college, so I'm, that means I'm old. so
3: <laughs> John Curley, uh, I've been in Chicago. I'm just going to throw you know that whole thing where they're like where they're like, oh, you know, it was a suburb, doesn't count, whatever. I've been in Chicago. F- also for a long time, um, but as far as career-wise, yeah. so-called, you know, I, <laughs> air quotes around that, better part of like maybe 30 years. Impressive.
0: Well, thank you guys for being here. Like I said, these guys represent different verticals under the event curation umbrella. Clay runs the Music Trust. John here actually was the co-founder of Akira and now runs John Cote Events. And John Curley is the creator and CEO and founder of Paradigm Events. So these guys do a lot of different work, and it's really incredible. Like I said, we're going to go behind the scenes right now. So Clay, I want you to start. This is how I like to do my podcast. I want to basically start at the beginning. What is your why, and when did you find out? When did you make the decision to take on the Music Trust and try and start hosting events?
1: It was, uh, I think it was when I quit my day job. I was DJing on the weekends, like just shit bars, nightclubs, Enclave. (laughs) <laughs> um and we saw like a huge kind of like a the nightlife scene with DJs wasn't well represented. It was very unprofessional. Local guys were kind of getting shit on. And so we sort of had this one year push to try to make it professional and we I quit my day job and we went full time with it. Started kind of like recreating the the DJ model, the entertainment model for hotels, bars and restaurants and I think that was probably like 2000 and 2003, 2004, and decided just to run with it. It's amazing. You do a great job now. I mean, you guys have a
0: huge base here in Chicago. I work with you. I play at many different venues. But you're all over the country. What are some other cities you guys represent as well?
1: Uh, Right now we're in Portland, San Francisco, San Diego, Jesus Christ, Austin, (laughs) a little bit in Dallas. We do some work in New York, Wisconsin, Milwaukee specifically, some stuff in Ohio, Asheville, I'm probably forgetting a couple.
0: That's pretty legit to forget. That's a couple places. Yeah.
1: Amazing. Well,
0: shout out to the Music Trust and everything that you guys do. So many great DJs as well. I've had a lot of them on the podcast. Really, really talented. Actually, I tried to be a part of the Music Trust for like a year and a half. This guy ghosted me. So, you know, he made I'm me sorry.
3: More...
0: It's okay. We're here now. I feel like we're tight, you know. It's good. Came a long way. You're a good guy. He's having a baby in two weeks, by the way, guys. Yeah. If I run
1: out, it's because she went into labor. <laughs>
0: awesome go ahead, John, what's your why, and when did you find out?
2: Uh, when did you realize realize what
0: <laughs> realize that this is what I want to do this is why I want to do it
2: you know you know what um I'm kind of like all over the place, so i mean for for me it was just like every day's is excite, it's it's excitement, you know like every day like there's like a phone call about something that normally I would not typically even think about like the night before, so so I think like. What my drive is is like, every day that I wake up, there's a phone call about something, and and then it just started with that. It's like um, I've been in the business. I don't know. It's so I moved to Chicago when I was 22, post college, and then after that, when I was 28, I started Akira with two of my friends from college. And during that time, we had no marketing budget, we had no employees. It was just like me and like two of my business partner, and they're just like John, you need to figure out what's going on, how to bring business back in. So I pretty much like went out every night. And for like the longest time, I think I was out every night for eight years, like in a row. Eight years every Eight years almost every night I was out because instead of watching Netflix, (laughs) I would be out like just randomly sitting in a corner or meeting people or coming to events like this. And then from there, that's where my network kind of grew. And then, so that's, I guess like, so, you know, and then, Fast forward that 20 years later, some of the people that I met like 20 years ago are like s- such as John. Like, we met like about 20 years ago. We would do club shows and a transit, right? I mean, we did like fashion shows, everything. Transit, like that. wow. Yeah. That's come yeah. up a few so, times. So, I guess like, um, so from there, like it just, you know, it just made my life very exciting. Yeah, you yeah. sacrifice a lot of your own personality. I personal sacrifice time. a lot, but yeah. you learn a lot. You, you know, you create like networks and and then that's, you know, that's how it started. I love that. Yeah. That's a
0: true why. I mean, you went above and beyond. I think about it all the time, right? It's a lot easier to just say, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to watch yeah. Netflix. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. But you love it. You clearly love it. You're still doing it all these years later. So kudos to you, sir. What about you, Mr. Curley? When did you, when did you first realize, I want to start hosting events?
3: Uh, you know, I thought long and hard about that when you posed that earlier. There was definitely no one aha moment. <laughs> but I will say this. Uh, first of all, there was no Netflix back when I started. I yeah, just, just <laughs> none, none of this, Netflix and chill. So, But I, like a lot of people, started as a DJ. I remember as a DJ now, but not necessarily back then. Uh, and it took me a lot of time to really like, kind of like hone into what exactly it was that I could do, can do, my value in general. Um, but as a result, I got a chance to see a bunch of the different like evolutions and... Uh, I, epics, if you will, like in the marketplace, and the changes and that accumulation of experience and knowledge uh, over time. And I became, you know, I came to realize that, that I definitely am, have a lot of, uh, let's say, you know, like just overall experience in the events, music field that allows me to, you know, it gives, it gives me a perspective on things that I can bring to bear that. Actually has a lot of resonance today. Mm -hmm. So, but you know, coming out of college, I was literally making flyers and cutting them and bringing them to. It was Medusa's at the time, right? There, there was no internet then. I mean, this is why none of that shit, man. We all started as flyer guys and DJ, and so. Moving on from there, you know, there was a bunch of seminal nightclubs that opened from Shelter Nightclub to Crowbar to Karma and one after another after another. And during that whole time, uh, things have evolved and changed quite a bit mm-hmm. up till this point in time. However, there's a lot of takeaways f- that date far back. And I, you know, it's it's information that I can, like, call on and, like, I think about it all the time, and it like it imbues basically what I do today. yeah
0: of course, well, you've such a reputable company paradigm. I've been to numerous events, and every single one of them sort of has a flavor a taste, and it's the same thing with music trusts the same thing with your guys' events. I want to ask like, how do you be unique in a competitive marketplace? you know you guys aren't the only people throwing parties hosting events. there's so many different things going on. What do you do to be original? John,
3: you can start. That's a great question. I mean, it actually goes back to what I was saying before, you know, and I was thinking about this today because you, you asked me about the aha moment. moment. Uh, when I started doing stuff with John, for instance, it was a different world back then. As a matter of fact, when I first started, you know, I was just wanted to be a DJ. That was pretty much it. <laughs> but spending enough time in the scene, there was there was like a, a, a moment in time where the world of club kids was brand new back then and it kind of resonates now because you know you got organizations like like bam creates for instance but modern day club kids basically but way back then nobody was really importing artists from out of town it wasn't like that at all i can remember to this day exactly the first person that came in i'm like why is there bringing a dj from uh, the, actually the matter of fact the djs were completely secondary back then um it was places like, you know, some of these some of the clubs that I worked at, which where it started to become more, you know, central to the whole theme. However, it was kind of like a whole mishmash of stuff. And we used to do like, you know, shows and skits and then we'd stop the music. There's a drag queen singing all of a sudden John Cote's got models out there. It was amazing, <laughs> you know. So but things have evolved in a major way, and I think a lot of it comes down to basically the internet. Which brought the entire world of a lot closer to everybody right away, like that, and especially with music. So, um, at a certain point in time, let's say m- like mid '90s, I started to import DJs. It was like really not a thing back then, and it was great, man. We'd get like huge guys in the cost, like, ah, oh, I'll give you maybe five hundred, you know. But that not so much anymore, and now it's a major business and really the world never looked back but I will say this what I see now is that and a lot of people have grown up in the clubs and clubs are definitely not going anywhere um, but people are looking for the same type of music people love their music but they want to see it in different environments so you have to look at it from a holistic perspective and say hey how about this you know I don't know whatever you know DJ that you love and that his sound is this and so I'm going to like build a Castle of Flowers. I don't know. It's going to be at this warehouse. Who knows? It's, it you kind of like take the paradigm, you throw it out, and you start rebuilding it with a lot of the elements, basically, that I've learned over all the years from guys like John. You know.
0: Yeah, I love that. And it's interesting. Interesting, you said that. I mean, you're wearing a Radius shirt right now. <laughs> Radius just announced um, an LRO show. And for those who aren't familiar with El LRO El is exactly that. It's an unannounced lineup. It's a curated event that you go to because you want to experience it, and the DJs are secondary, and that's something that Insomniac's done a really good job of is selling out a festival before you even announce the lineup. I mean, look, I haven't been in the industry as long as these guys, but I was part of the EDM boom in 2011 and 2012. You needed to know the lineup, right? Like, I'm not going to go to this unless it's this DJ. You
3: still kind of do them for the most part, but it's impressive. Right,
0: yeah. But what I'm trying to say is now we see this whole entire different side of the world coming out where it's like, it's saturated, right? So people want DJs they love in a different environment. And that's definitely what Radius is doing, what Paradigm does. I remember we went to the Derek Carter and House of E-Funk soul clap event, right? That was just house music, but it was in some part of Chicago I'd never been, and we were in some giant courtyard, and it was so unique. I've seen Derek Carter before, right, but felt different. So I, I definitely relate what you're saying. What about you, Conte? <laughs>
2: um. Yeah, it's just, um, first of all, it's just like, I just want to say thank you for everyone coming out here. Like, I mean, I know it's winter, it's cold, so I just want to say thank you, like, for coming. Um thank you. You know what, it's just like, I've been lucky because it's like, I've been lucky and fortunate to have met, like, the people I've met over the years. I'm, like, the worst speaker in the world, that's why I don't know why I'm here, but <laughs> but I'm always, like... <laughs> but I, I remember, like... For the last 20 years, there's something magical about the events that I create because it's the community that it brings. So, like over the years, I have met like amazing people that have like it has. I guess it has made my life exciting. Like I speaking of Elro, like that we were just chit chatting about it because like uh, a few years ago, I decided to like kind of like disappear from here from Chicago for a minute. I wanted to just Take a trip where I didn't check into social media, that I would just like be randomly somewhere else where I don't know anyone. So I went to South Africa. So in South Africa, I am like, I just randomly bought a ticket, went to South Africa, and I was like dancing in the middle, of, like a festival. And <laughs> literally, like, two girls were like looking at me, and then like finally, like, they came up to me, and they're just like, hey, you know, like, are you from Chicago? And I'm just like, yeah, how do you know? It's like, you know, like, we were checking to see if you checked into social media, or whatever. But fast forward to that, then they, I got introduced by, to another DJ from South Africa that's now part of Elro. So like, so like when, when that got announced, it's kind of cool, like that the world is just like so small and it's mm-hmm. like a community. And so like, so for me, like I guess like the magical moments and like every time I do an event, it's like it drives me like because it's not some sometimes it's like I always feel like oh my god, it's so much work, but then when it's over. There's a magic about it, and there's a group of people that's in different parts of the world, that's in different parts of the industry, that remember coming to the event and meeting amazing people, and then that's what kind of, like, make it special. There's, yeah. like, a, I can't pinpoint it, but there's something, like, and I move my events around. So I purposely move my events around so this way it doesn't become, like, people know where it is. You kind of get invited to it. Based on, not even based on your accomplishment, but based on your character. And I rather like, you know, if people have good vibes and good energy, mm-hmm. I make sure that I take care of them. So at least this way, they have that drive to be passionate about what they're doing, whether it's music, fashion, photography, whatever like that. So you'll meet a community of people that's really making a difference. So that's what kind of like makes my event magical, I guess, like, is because of the people that come to it. And from there, we kind of just create a theme. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah. you kind no of... short answer to it. There's just of course something not. special about it. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, yeah. maybe you're
0: not supposed to have an answer to that question for yeah. you. I mean, you've done so many different types of events over the years, and it's just become what it is now. Not that you've taken necessarily a step left or a step right to get here, but people want to come to a John Cote event. One, because you're definitely going to be there, and according to Curly, you got bottles popping. So, you know, I think that's pretty easy call to action but i think you explained it very well people want to come to your events because there is sort of magic in the air i love that what about you clay what do you do to stay unique
1: um i think for us we kind of got fed up from seeing the same the same djs and the same venues kind of all chasing you know the same low-hanging fruit everybody wants to if you're a dj or an artist everybody wants to play the same five venues in every market or whatever it is Um, so for us, it was kind of looking where nobody else was looking and whether that was, you know, a room like this and a hotel that was new, Mm -hmm. a small bar or, or whatever, a living room, things like that. Mm -hmm. That's sort of kind of what we, what we sort of looked at. It was how to get in the door without having to fight with the big guys at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and that really sort of helped us push and helped people kind of take notice to what we were doing because for us, it was more, people were more appreciative of our, of our value of things we were doing because they didn't know, so we could offer expertise and throw events. To you know, some when we started doing them on hotel rooftops that hadn't been done, like next door, um, that was that was like mind blowing for Chicago. And it's like, holy shit, it's a rooftop in Chicago that's open air, and you guys have like a full blown like DJ system up here, and you're going, and you're throwing parties, and there's bottle service. It's basically Vegas in Chicago for three and a half months out of the year, maybe. Um, well, let's be honest, too. two, yeah. <laughs> And if it rains, you lose all your money, <laughs> so but yeah, stuff like that, so we kind of just looked for the venues that nobody else was looking for, yeah, I love that, and it's
0: it's proven over a long period of time, like I said in the beginning, I mean, the music trust runs with some of the biggest players in the game here, day clubs like Fremont, roof on the Wit as well I mean, that's relatively i mean not relatively it's extremely popular for people to go to, so I yeah. think, like you said, that's unique, but that didn't it didn't start like that, right like. What's been all the changes that happened at the Roof on the Whip, for example, in Fremont? I mean, I know you've redesigned their sound system, their equipment. You look at it, and like John said, too, from a DJ's perspective.
1: Yeah, Yeah, I mean, when we started Roof, there was no, at least I don't think there was, like, a a hotel rooftop that had open air, that had entertainment, that had go-go dancers, that had bottle service, and had a bunch of just wild shit going on. Um so from that iteration, and that was probably right around like when the EDM boom started, we maybe had two years there where it was just normal DJing, I guess, you know, house guys and the typical stuff, and then when the EDM boom, the EDM boom came, the owner kind of sat us down and was like, "I want Vegas and festivals here," and we're like, "You're you're out of your fucking mind, <laughs> like it's not gonna happen," and you know, like everything, money solved a lot of issues and patience solved a lot of issues and. You know, we redesigned that sound system four times. We got the venue shut down for a week by the city because we violated, like, half the ordinances in the neighborhood. <laughs> I mean, we learned a lot Badass. of that. Yeah, and it's, you know, that wasn't, that wasn't the norm then, and now that's a normal thing. There's rooftops on every fucking hotel in the city, and yeah. you have how many people doing DJs or how many people doing events, and whether it's DJs or you have, like, an opening of a hotel that has a... Million dollar system brought in with Buddy Guy on it. Like people are activating spaces outside of like your traditional live music venue, um, and it was the same with Fremont. Fremont was like a defunct, you know, for lack of a better term. And I'm sorry if anybody liked the place, uh, like Douchebag Club. Um, it was it was American Junkie, and it was just this not not a great thing. And so when our clients took it over, they were like, "What are we doing with this?" And it was two stories. We had some input and we helped them, and it was supposed to be a typical sports bar, but clean and whatever, and. Luckily, we pulled some of the staff from Roof, brought them over there, and it turned into basically just another typical douchebag day club. (laughs) Like, I mean, it's, I'm I'm being honest. Like, we know what some of these places are. Um, Yeah, but that place makes money. But, I mean, it it cranks, and there's a market for it, and it's crazy. We put, like, a, you know, when they renovated the place for, I think, the the second time, third time, whatever it was. The sound was a big issue, and we pitched like this brand new Pioneer line array system, like you know, full stacks and you know subs under the stage, and the owners went for it. And these guys own small pubs around the city, and they do chicken wings and burgers. So for us to come with this proposal, like you're gonna book a track and you're gonna have these big parties, and it's gonna be Sunday brunch in Bagatelle, New York, all over again with bottles flying and people passing out, and a bunch of white powder over the bathroom that you can't tell the directors about.
3: It's cleaners. Yeah, it's
1: it's Ajax. Don't worry about Ajax. it. Um, you know I'm loving this right now. Yeah, sorry. I mean, they looked at us like we were fucking crazy. Yeah, we were, and yeah, it worked. And now it's one of those parties that you won't really catch me there getting crazy on a Saturday. But I'm happy to curate it and offer my expertise and go in for a cocktail and yeah, be gone before it turns into zombie town. <laughs> but zombie again, it town, was a yeah. unique yeah, <laughs> it was a unique party for the city, and it's lasted. I think we're on year four for that now, and year. 10 across the street at the roof. So that's pretty incredible, though. And you started, you took over the music trust 10 years ago, right? Yeah, we'll be, I think we're nine and a half years. So 10 years sometime
0: this It's crazy. Year. Yeah. It's crazy. And you brought up something that's really interesting to me that I've learned the hard way. Tony and I have learned the hard way, and that's how to run a profitable event. Sometimes you make, in my experience, a selfish decision on booking an act, on a place, on a time, whatever it might be, you lose money right? Because you think it's going to go right. I want to know, one of you guys actually thought you were going to make money and lose money? And how do you actually run profitably? And are you ever willing to
3: lose money, too? And we can start with John here. Yeah, it's a great question. Um, So first of all, what I've learned over time is the net financial losses are only profitable in their own sense if you learn from them. And I've learned quite a deal <laughs> over the years. Uh, but at the same time, I think that there's something that okay, one of the things I learned is that you kind of have to stay true to who you are and and that's what helps keep you connected with your crowd. I mean, I could tell you now that people who follow what we do are very invested in it and they know the difference you know, between what it is that they want and Not that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of tweaks you can make. Oh, I paid this DJ too much, or this deal wasn't right with whatever venue, you know. And you also learn a lot in terms of trying to put events together here in the lovely city of Chicago, which is really not that easy to put events on, especially if you are, like he said, trying to find just whatever kind of places. And We do exactly that, but we take it to the extreme, like we did an event under a viaduct, and it was awesome. It was definitely the it was dictionary definition of hey, let's get some awesome techno, whatever, but let's put it in some place really unique. But it's really difficult to do stuff like that because you know there's uh, there's myriad different you know municipal authorities and whatever you have to go through in order to even get something close to legal. And usually the attitude is, you want to do what? There's, there's no way, man. You've got to be kidding me. So, you know, that's a lot of work. And so you try and, like, pick and choose your battles. You find out work, what works for you and for, you know, the crowd that you speak to. And uh, you, through, <laughs> I've been purified in the waters of financial loss, let me tell you that. And but you learn right now? I've learned quite a lot. And... I think probably gotten better at it as a result. So there's always something to learn from any kind of like financial loss. I'll tell you that much. Absolutely. Go ahead, go
2: tell. Such a serious question. I was like, now I'm thinking of all the parties that I, that I threw over 20 years and which one I, I funded and which one got sponsored. And yeah. well, I think that's it's, an interesting like, topic too. Yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, I mean, what's sponsorship?
2: And then uh, when he was reminding me of the viaduct, I was there. I was there with him, and I'm like, "This is the best. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, going back to your question, yeah, I mean, some I, I mean, obviously like it's a business, right? Like you want to make money, but overall i I think it's more for me, it's like play money, too. It's just like it's really about experiences, and sometimes I feel like, oh, yeah, this is like I'm gonna set this budget aside and then this is what i'm going to use for talent and i'm going to use this for entertainment but but for me i i kind of get carried away i'm like a kid as soon as like i get into something i start having all these ideas and uh, before you know it i'm like you know what it's fine we're going to do it because this is this is what we're going to do and it's it's a different experience and we're going to wow all these people but i mean yeah i mean i i done so many events where it's like obviously like there was you know i could have stopped it But for me, it was all about the quality of the event and the experience. And I wanted it to be, I look at it as like, this could be my last event. You know, like, this could be my last party. And I've been saying that for 20 years and it's still going. I'm like, you know what, this is my party. I'm going to retire from this. But then then something moves me, something, you know, like, I meet like a talent or I meet like an inspiration, like, you know, it's just like in Before You Know It, I kind of it becomes like art for me. It's just like expressing art. And it's kind of like, how do you tell an artist to stop? You know, it's yeah. like, you just do it. So, yeah. so give and take, luckily, I got a good wealth manager that keeps me in check and ah, <laughs> makes me money on the side. Yeah. But I mean, definitely with events, you know, you have to be careful. And, and it's really, I mean, but you're only as good as your last event, too, so, right? It's just like, that's what people remember. or like Words to live by. Yeah, it's like, so, I look at it as like, this could be my last one. I'm going to put in as much as I can, be smart about it. But at the same time, this is the experience I want. So, for, well said, m- for me, it's more personal than it is anything else. So. I got to party with you more. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not afraid to lose money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, not afraid to lose money. <laughs> Let's
0: throw an event. Let's lose some money, man. How's that sound? <laughs> like, Because like, you have an interesting business model from that perspective as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, for us, we're lucky because. I'd say more than half of our events were paid to put them on. Our clients come with us with budgets, and we get to kind of just, we see the P&Ls, we see the nice spreadsheets, and we're a couple line items on them, so we don't that should be risk. more like that. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, we can all learn from Clay, I'm telling you. It's low risk. I mean, we obviously do have, you know, things that could go wrong that could totally screw us. Um, you know, point in case, we did an event, and we carry, like, a pretty hefty insurance policy, and a truck backed into a brand-new Bentley, And that caused some some money to happen. (laughs) So we lost, but like you go into every event thinking you're gonna lose a little bit of money. At least you're mentally prepped for it because you don't know. But I mean, if the client's paying you to put it on, cool. Like you're usually fine. Um, The events where we do put on, where you know our ass is on the line and our bottom line is there. We're just prepared for it. I mean it's it's kind of like we have those conversations, the my partners and I sit down and like, are we cool with potentially losing twenty thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, five thousand dollars for different reasons, you know, like when we used to put acts on across the street. If it rained and you had a twenty thousand dollar act, like you're lucky to get a reschedule and you know, you hope to God that you can reschedule that and it works, but you're still eating shit on cost for flights and hotel and all that stuff. Yeah. So, you know, your profit margin versus like what the actual budgets are. It just depends what you're comfortable losing. But I mean, if you go into every event thinking I'm going to profit and make all this money, like it's, you're going to be very disappointed, yeah. especially for smaller events.
0: Right. Big thing that you guys all just said that really rings a bell to me is managing expectations with yourself, with the venue, with the artists, with the guests. So great answers there, guys. Appreciate that. Now, one thing as well. And it's interesting, John Curley, you said in the beginning that the rise of the internet, social media, where we're at now. I mean, I can't believe I'm even seeing articles about what's next after Instagram. I thought Instagram's still the big thing, but we got TikTok. It's all TikTok. It's TikTok, man. It's crazy, but marketing is changing so much. I always ask this question on the podcast, and it's something I think about a lot as well with my podcast. and something like this, right? You said you hung up flyers. When I started DJing in college, too, like... You text people, you put it on Facebook. No, I was hanging up flyers and posting them on walls and in college bars and whatever it might be. Still started doing that in Chicago. I would go around in my day job, hand little flyers to people as they're talking on the phone and say, hey, come to, my event. Come, come to my event. So in a day of so much social media where everything seems really oversaturated, what do you guys do to market, whether it be grassroots or even utilizing social media to its advantages? And we'll start with Clay.
1: I mean, for, ours, for our events, we're lucky we have, you know, hospitality groups or hotels with pretty sizable marketing teams behind them or we actually like put line items for like pretty big spends on social media. So you know, if we wanna put two thousand dollars toward Instagram to promote promote an event or, you know, a thousand dollars at Facebook or hire a small street team and whether that's the interns that are running around flyering something up, it's great. But I mean I think the the biggest strength we've found is it's it's personal invites, it's calling your friends, it's mm-hmm. sending out those personal emails. It's, you know, For us like liquor vendors and things like that that we've worked with it's like hey we're throwing this party like i know you're not a sponsor but we'd love to work with you on another one come by like here's like you know our our table for you to be present at, or here's like some free tickets for you and your friends so it's it's the personal stuff versus like the over overreaching with like instagram facebook snapchat whatever i mean you can go down that rabbit hole and hope that it works and it might but i think for you know it's i think everyone's kind of going back to like the hey like Come to my event man. Would Make be great you feel bad. It. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like
0: that Bernie Sanders meme going around. You guys seeing that? I'm asking you to come to verified once again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I relate to that so much. John Cote, what do you think about that question, sir? How do you handle marketing?
2: You know what, honestly, like I don't really post it. Like usually I, I won't post something until after the event's over because I can't accommodate everyone. So I kinda Ow, just like mic drop So I I kinda do it the opposite way, where it's like you know, if I want them to be there, I'll send them all my RSVP here for the next six months. Because everyone is busy. Everyone has lives. And then, but I feel like they will—they need to be part of something. So I'll send my invite to say, save the date. I won't even tell people where it is. And then if they flake one time, I just don't invite them back. It's really nice. like, it's one of those, <laughs> right you know, like, I mean, it's because it's like, because you kind of like, create the space to, like, you know, so people I'm have to... I'm res- holding you to that, by People the way. have to... Res- no, I'm, I'm, I'm good for my word, right? I mean, and, like, I mean, I, you know, it's like... So I kind of do it the opposite, where it's like, if it's a public event and there's, like, a big place that can accommodate people, I will tell people, hey, you know what, this is open to everyone. But usually, my events, I kind of keep it, like, I keep it moving so no one knows where it is and no one can pinpoint where it is. Only maybe, like, a few people that's really part of the event Knows where it is, so I won't announce it. And then until after it's over, then I post it up and just say, hey, this was the party. What do you do
0: with your relationship from starting Akira? Because a lot of your parties have like models and lots of reputable brands. Do you reach out to them directly? Do they come to you? Just through a party recently, you know, these guys had millions of followers, they were DJing. Do
2: they promote for you? Is that how you kind of leverage? No, I mean, it's just like it's all like personal relationships. I mean, it's really, you know, it's just, um, I, I mean, I'm happy to have not paid anyone to come to my event, you know, like that's like an influencer, whatever you want to call them. Like it's literally like, it's just out of respect. Like, Hey, we're going to do a good party. I want you to be part of it. Or like, or like people will send me messages from wherever. It's like, Hey, I'm coming into town. What's good. And then from there, we'll, we'll create a party. So a lot of times, like, it's either planned or unplanned. And then, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of, like, it's just... I mean, I know a lot of people schedule that I can't even... Anu- so a lot of times, like, when people say, hey, I'm coming to town, I'm like, is that announced, unannounced? Is that, mm-hmm. is that for, for work or are you just here for fun? You know, just like, I mean, those are the questions you want to ask. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times, sometimes people just need to get away from L.A. or need to get away from New York and they just want normalcy. So it's not about them being some sort of influencer or celebrity. They just want they just want to go grab coffee and not feel like they're being bothered every minute. Mm-hmm. So, so Chicago is a great place for that. Good middle
0: ground. I love that. What do you think, Mr. Curley? How do you guys handle marketing?
3: So I, I'll, I'll break this up into two parts. First of all, it took me a while to realize that one of the things that I really love doing and one of the things that I... I flourished at was actually brand building going way back to you know, but I mean, the the late great wavefront, uh, you know, building like re resuscitating brands, you know, like you know, from Spybar to even back to the Cromar days and, and moving forward, Paradigm Percents. And then what I've done been doing lately, and that's it, goes back to kind of what both of you said was that. You know, if you're only good as your last party and people know you for basically the experience, it's the experience that they want, right? So if you're building experiences for people and you're able to tie it to a certain brand, that means a lot. Um, I've built a lot of event series. Uh, For instance, the Seasons 1 that you mentioned earlier. um, And I take these brands that have been built over time because they uh, involve... You know, a pinch of that and a little bit of this. These are the kind of music. This is the kind of visuals you're going to get. These are the kind of people you'll expect. These are the kind of venues you're going to see it at, right? And now, I'll release the event with no lineup whatsoever and start to sell tickets because it means something to people. It only means something to people if they can connect it with a certain experience. It's got to be. There's got to be some kind of visceral component to it for it to really work. Um, So I. Spend a whole lot of time in building brands and things that actually you know mean something to people. And The only way to do that is to like tailor. It's painstaking, but I find it actually you know very effective. So, in that, that's one part of it. the The other side of the coin for me is this: is when it comes to marketing and the budget that you spend, it's all about data, and you need the data. You need to understand how to use it and you utilize it and work it you know, to your favor, and especially when you're talking about booking artists. So in, in this world that, you know, that I live in, any given artist, DJ, whatever, um, has his own following. Uh, you can geo-target people that like that same guy. You, know, you can do all kinds of stuff now between Facebook and Instagram and you know TikTok isn't quite there yet but you know all of the big social media platforms are fertile grounds for marketing if you just know how to utilize it right so we spend quite a bit of money on finding a way to reach the people that actually care about what it is that you're selling
0: love that and you guys it's interesting you all have similar but different views on that two sides of the coin there it's the personal touch it's what makes your events unique on, a, on its own. And like Curly said, I mean, you gotta, you got to use all of our resources to our advantage. Social media, in-person, text, whatever it might be, Facebook invites. I mean, I feel like all I use Facebook for is actually events now. So I don't know what's going to happen with that. But it's interesting, John Curly, you're just talking about seasons. This is a, a new thing I've, I've seen from Paradigm, I believe.
3: It's just an example of a, an event series. It's a quarterly event mm-hmm. series that mm-hmm. takes place at a converted warehouse in, in Fulton Market. Uh, but the idea is to kind of utilize the space and you, you know there's maybe uh, co- there's connectivity between the artists. We might book from one to the other, but uh, the production aspect of it is really important. Um, it will be tied into the theme. The theme is like a deeply rooted into whatever season it is. You know, there's a certain like earthly quality to it as well. And it kind of, it, it connects with people on a, on a base level that find a connection between the music itself and other things that are important to them. So, uh, but it's, it's a kind of nation, you know, it's uh we've only done one, so the next one is in the spring, but the venue loves it and wants us to do it on a regular ongoing basis.
0: Now, with Seasons, you're on a, a short timeline there, and that's one of my next questions. A timeline for actually planning an event. Let's say we're here now, right? Like, it took me, I think, maybe door to door, four and a half, five months from starting this to here. And you know, it was kind of a setting a date, getting the guests, locking it down, all the logistics, that sort of stuff. Let's just start with you with Seasons. Justin Martin at City Hall. looks like an amazing event. How long did it take you to plan that? And now, how are you going to go into the next event with a
3: shorter timeline? It's a great question. I think that my most valuable asset, and I think maybe anybody's, is time. I'm not going to lie. I am mean, like, trying to manage it is a <laughs> challenge. I'm <laughs> interested to hear what these guys have to say, how they manage their time. But w- in my world, you're out numerous months in advance, sometimes years, when it comes to trying to book certain artists or venues or what what have you. So, wow. you know, you're working at calendars and spreadsheets, and, you know, you're trying to, like, connect all the dots. and and put something together with enough runway so that it's impactful. Um, but I mean, unless you're talking about every now and again, an artist will fall in your lap, you know, that guy will sell out a venue like that. Outside of that, you know, you, like I'm planning stuff, you know, deep into the summer and fall and like literally towards 2021 at this point.
0: Depends on the event and the artist
3: yes but all of it you need significant runway, like i I don't like really doing an event unless I have like minimally three months to get it together that's the minimum <laughs> that's in my perfect world, by the way, <laughs> I' always work out there like that <laughs> yeah of course now John
0: Cote you did a, you did an awesome event a, a night in Venice at bodega, and you've also done. So many different types of things. Can you tell us about that one specifically? How long did it take you to plan and how did you enact on that?
2: I don't even remember the event. It's, like that's <laughs> it's how many events is guy know, throws. Well, you know what? It's uh, a lot of times it's I mean it, it's kinda hard to explain. I mean, you know, I you know, there's I can do an event right away. Like I mean, I I remember like the most challenging event is like, Hey, can you do something in like five days? And I was just like And I remember, like, they gave me a warehouse with no bathroom, with no lighting, with nothing. And I was just (laughs) like, is this a joke? And then ended up doing Joe Kim Noah's 30th birthday party. And that's my most proudest moment because of the fact that it happened in, like, four or five days. And there was, like, the best party I ever threw. You know, it's like, but the the warehouse... no, it's a different... Yeah. I mean, this is the first time I honestly sat down and, like, think about, like, the events I have done in the past because I don't really think about it. Because I'm opening i opening up really... a di- different
0: side of your brain. This is what yeah, I Yeah, it's just, yeah. like,
2: looking back... I mean, hearing this is, like, it's stressful. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> I'm <laughs> bringing you it back to the times, view? yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I I guess I'm,
2: I do something on the fly half the time, and a lot of times it's instinct, and I'm always at the event, and I'm always, like, doing it quick and doing it fast and doing it, like as impactful as I can. So hearing this is like, God, this is like, it's a stressful field. (laughs) (laughs) But I I, guess I do stuff on the fly. Um, But I mean, I try to plan stuff and I had like, if there's a venue that, I turned down a lot of things. Like I I maybe, maybe I should like change my different uh, business strategy and accept a lot more stuff. But half the time, I turn down a lot because of the fact that it's not me. It's not genuine to me. So if something if I don't wanna do something, I don't do it. If I don't wanna work with someone, I don't do it. Like it's just like I kinda of pick and choose on who I feel like I should invest in because it's like that's how I look at my events, right? I invest in the people. If they're flaky off the bat, I don't even talk to them again. It's just like or I'll tell them like you're flaky. You know, it's just like there's something wrong with you. You know, it's just like I'm usually pretty upfront. So so usually I kinda of just watch what I say now because a lot of times people take it the wrong way. But yeah, but, um, yeah I mean, I, tr- I have like in my head, like I could plan something next week or I can plan something in three days. It's kind of easy for me to mobilize something because I'm always like in tune with what's going on in the city. Like I try to be, I genuinely love it. Like, I mean, uh, with Instagram, I know I follow 4,000 people, but I actually look at their stories. I know what they're eating. Like that's how crazy it is. So sometimes people will call me and they're like, So and so's here. I go, No, they're actually in a flight on the way here. Like, you know, so I have like a weird memory when it comes to stuff. Yeah. So so I try to plan stuff ahead, but it changes too much. Yeah. So sure. I don't know if that answers your question. It does. Yeah. It's yeah. like I am just like on the fly. I can yeah.
0: told two totally different stories, right?
2: Yeah, here. two different <laughs> I mean well, <laughs> 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 yeah, I would be like, oh, I'm, my God, this is right so now, stressful. Like, I'm sweating. Yeah, this is so stressful. Like, and plus, honestly, no one knows what they're doing next week anymore. Yeah. So a lot of times, like, even if they say, hey, I'm going to do it, if something better comes along, they're gone. People so at least as will out. keep it in the moment. you know? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's that's
0: so true. That's yeah. so true. Clay, you, you've done a lot of different types of things. Like you said, a track right? You brought him to Fremont. What sort of timeline did it look like for that?
1: um so that was for Lollapalooza, and we work with c3 and those guys to do some after parties and events and it's interesting when you're kind of at the like the will of a festival that has this this artist or these artists that they they've booked and they've paid for and they're bringing them to town and you're kind of piggybacking off those artists being in town um so we usually throw like those official after parties for a few of our clients and you know you you get the list of potential acts from them that you could grab, the ones that haven't been taken, the ones that might fit your venue. But then for that show specifically, like we kind of ran out. We had like no options. We're like, there's nobody on that bill that's going to fit. And so we kind of just went outside the box and I was like, we have a good relationship with him and we've worked with him in the past, so let's put it on and kind of do like an unofficial party, which a lot of guys in the city do. Um, But the timeline is always interesting because especially when you're working with a festival or something, I mean, you guys don't want to give those up right away and you're even if you book the artist through the festival you still can't announce it yeah, you can, right. until whatever that timeline may be. And I mean I think worst case scenario it's been, you know, so even if you have everything like buttoned up and ready to go and they're like you can announce two weeks out, then at that two week mark, you're basically starting, even if you have everything else lined up because you have to start all your promotion, like every like everything that's going. So the more time is obviously better, but for festival things and after parties and stuff where you're kind of piggybacking it's, I mean, it's a disaster. Like, it, it honestly is. It can be anywhere from like two weeks a week, last minute pop up things for like five days, four days, whatever it is, and you're just scrambling. So
0: true. And Chicago, so many different things going on. Even though it is hard to host events here, there's so many different venues that you can do. And I mean, like this weekend, NBA All Star weekend, there's about 50 rappers performing at every single venue. I mean, from yeah. <laughs> This uh, is a, an event right uh, here uh, too. Yeah, that was good. Not bad. I won't freestyle, not. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of
1: those got announced today, yesterday. Yeah, yeah exactly. Mean, I've seen stuff pop up at venues that are strictly like Wrigleyville Cubs venues, and they're like, "We have DJ Khaled this weekend," <laughs> and you're just like, "What the fuck?" Like, it helps that,
3: that there's an extra three hundred thousand people in the city, of course. You yeah. know.
1: Yeah, and then that's the other thing. Like, if you do it where the festival is, so with Lollapalooza, is great because everybody's downtown, so you can throw these events within. River North, whatever, West Loop area, and kind of this parameter, and you're, you're OK. But it's like, if you throw that event in Wrigleyville or Rogers Park or Humboldt Park, like are you really going to get people that are staying in these hotels or down at the festival to go mm-hmm. to those after parties yeah. or go to those events? It's like, I don't know. If I was in Lollapalooza for 12 hours a day, raging balls, yeah. like I'm not going out at 10.30 PM to Humboldt Park to see you know somebody at a bar or something right. like that. Back at to
0: that the moment. hotel room few shots,
1: maybe. Go to bed, yeah. Yeah, go a
0: few shots and then go to bed? Yeah. You are going to be a dad here soon, sounds yeah, like.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's
0: past my bedtime. I have no experience, but that sounds sounds like how it might go. That's yeah. interesting. That really is interesting because when so many people come to the city, too, and you think about timelines, I use a, a website called um, EDM Train. It's so basic, but it tells train? me. Train? EDM, Tony, what's it called? EDM Train? Right. Yeah, EDM Train. Thanks, boss. EDM train. And I look like in different cities six months out, right? And it lists all the big events that are going on. So if I'm looking at hosting an event or whatever it might be, I'll look at what is my competition possibly. Do you guys ever look at that type of stuff? Like how far out? Like let's say there's two different techno acts that are already playing. Although there's 4 million people who live in Chicago and the, the outside suburbs as well, it's something to think about. How do you guys actually look at your competitors as well? In one way or another, I guess you guys are competitors, but... What do you do? John, if you want to start. Uh,
3: you know what? I mean, obviously, it would be folly to book something when something else just like it is already booked. But honestly, you don't always have that kind of information at hand. So um, my response to that is I try and book shit that is awesome no matter what. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't always work, but <laughs> 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 but that's the best defense you have is a good offense For in my world. But if if you know something I don't there's like there's no crystal ball you're like oh my god like this it I mean obvi- it's it's really obvious with festivals okay and I have actually talked when you're talking about like learning from your losses I've definitely booked stuff against big festivals I'm like wow, why what was I thinking you know um, I wouldn't do that again you know yeah. and you know that stuff's coming way down the pipeline but oftentimes you don't really because you know you're booking stuff like months in advance at the same time, maybe someone else is booking stuff months in advance, and you just don't know you know, yeah. but if you do, you obviously avoid it and I've moved stuff around a lot mm. when you know when you figure out something else is coming coming through and sometimes the artist will actually be you know pliable because they don't actually want to have to be in that position
0: yeah, good point and and John, for you, John, go take your question seems like you really partner with your competitors, so to speak, right? I mean, you bring in... Yeah, he has no competitors. He has no... Yeah. Everything you're, I'm learning a lot from you. You shoot it from the hip, you buy bottles, and you book huge DJs, and you bring models to your party. That is a business model right there, ladies and gentlemen. He crushes it. God, goes out every day for eight years. Is that true? I,
2: it was <laughs> true. It, it was actually true. Like, I mean, I'm the type that actually would go for 48 hours after Lollapalooza. And I'm like, oh, my God, Woo! like, there's something going <laughs> on. Let's check it out. Let's check. I'll be the, la- the first one to an event, and I'll be the last one leaving. You're
0: the man. Yeah. He loves yeah, to dance. That's story, what he told me. Yeah. As yeah, long as you can move. yeah,
2: I realize I can't go to a gym, but I can go to, like, any party and just, like, dance all night. What about... myself. It's fine. I'll just put on my hoodie, stand in the corner, and You're just dance. You're the man. You know? God, like, we need more fun. people like you in the world. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: we need more people like you, sir.
2: Yeah, but going back to like what you guys were talking about, there's yeah. still game changers. Like you got, you got all these things planned ahead, and then there's game changers that's gonna just change it like last minute. Like there's like, like for example, like I guess it's just like knowing or being in the know, because I, as much as like every club has planned all these different acts, there's a party that's gonna happen that changes everything because it could grab. You know, like they're the people that are buying the tables there because they they just then whispers start coming, and then like people start talking. There's another party. There's another party. It's like I guess just being in the know and knowing if it's verified or not is like the key too. And I guess like it's kind of nice too having attractive friends because they're always invited. They always go after them and I'm I'll be ladies. like ladies. Yeah. Then I I just I just get like hey, by the way, did you hear about this party? I go, no, I didn't hear about this party. Yeah. So I'll verify it, and I'll literally like, call You'll someone. You'll verify I'll go, it. Like, I'll verify it, and I'll go, like, hey, is this party really happening? And most of the time, it's like, no, that's false, and that's true. So if it's true, then you kind of know that's the game changer. Right. Yeah, so. Right. Yeah.
0: What did you learn, I guess, throughout all these years from, it doesn't have to be your competitors, right? Like, you went to a lot of different parties for a long time. Did you have any mentors or people that you asked a lot of questions to, or did you really do it on your own?
2: No, I kind of, you know what, just be nice, be humble, and don't be an asshole. That's, I mean, that's really what it is. Like, you get invited to a party because people like you, you get good energy, you know, but if you think, like, you're better than anyone, that person could be the one in charge of the next party. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just like, it's really like karma, right? It's just like, I mean, there's people that I have met that, you know, that I took them in a long time ago because I felt like there was something special about them. And then, like, they're good people. And you know good people will always rise up over time. It's consistency. Like, if they're good people, they're passionate about their work, they're going to be successful, whether it's in a money way, whether it's, like, in an image way, whether it doesn't matter because they're just good people. And then, so, I think that's what I learned. It's just, like, when you go out there, don't think, like... I mean, I, I don't go up to, like front of a club and say, I deserve to be in here, I'll wait. Like, sometimes I'll literally, like, I find it more amusing to be standing outside watching everyone trying to come in. Yeah. Because it's like everyone pulls a game. Yeah. And then in reality, it's like, you know, everyone just, it's more fun to be outside sometimes than inside.
0: I, f- I know exactly what yeah. you mean. I don't yeah. I always want to be, like, pulling the favor, like, I know, like, even if I yeah. know someone yeah. who's DJing, I don't want to even inconvenience them necessarily, yeah. right? Yeah. We're all part of this puzzle. We're all part of this. Yeah,
2: and then it comes, comes around. So It does. Yeah.
0: Patience is a virtue. Interesting. Now, something that I'm super passionate about and that I'm trying to learn a lot more from is the research and discovery behind booking acts. This is a huge thing, especially today, right? I want to know down the line here chicken or the egg, right? When it comes to picking an artist or picking a venue, and is there a constituent on either end when it does happen? And we'll start with John
3: here. I'm confused on the question. So, what. What comes first, the venue or the artist? Well, yeah, and what reason would it happen, one or the other? OK. Um, so it, it's it's an interesting question. I mean, I would say like the default answer would be the artist in my world, simply because the artists that I work with, it's not like, ah, here. You, I got to put this date. It doesn't work like that. They're like, here's the date I'm in town. You in? And then you might have to scramble and find a venue that makes sense for it. But the venues do matter. I don't think it's a plug and play thing at all. Um, you have to try and it's a, like, it's a, yeah, I look at it in a holistic way, you know, who you're putting where, with whom, everything. Like all of it matters. It's not just about the music. Um, however, uh, when you're dealing with artists on a certain level, you're dealing with their touring schedules. So they I mean, especially the European ones, you know, they're in America for maybe two weeks or three, and they're like, you know, Chicago, New York, okay, boom, this is your date. Do you want it or not? You know, so that would be the chicken, I guess, in that case, but, but that would not mean to suggest the venues are second, you know, take second place to that because, you know, I'll pass on an artist if I can't find the right venue for it.
0: So you've brought in a lot of different artists. I mean, let's just say uh, Nina Kravis, right? Did you you booked her on a Wednesday at Spy Bar, right? And that was your that was your in.
3: Yeah, you know, that's a great example because that wasn't necessarily ideal. You know, she wanted to come in town, she wanted to play. Um, it's it's hard to make A-list artists necessarily work on weeknights because especially ones like that. Um, you're talking like a lot of the people that you know, frequent some of the events that I do are people that are like, oh yeah, you know, I'm going to see that same artist in Croatia and I'll spend 10 grand just to see her, you know. These people have jobs, by the way. Yeah. They, they do not go out on the weeknights yeah. and I know some of them are in the crowd here.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> so, trying to place someone like Nina Kravitz on a Wednesday um you know, it it comes down to a homey thing. You're like, listen, that's great, but you're gonna have to drop your fee like substantially. Yeah. You know, and and she really did it because she, you know there's there's certain bars that have reputation and it's kind of cool for them, whatever. So, but that's not. It's more like the exception than the rule. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, you know, you're dealing with like touring schedules and and then you then availability within. There's a whole hold system, in and it's when you're dealing with artists and venues on that level, you know, you could go to a... Uh, there's a lot of great venues here in Chicago, by the way, and I'll ask them, like, hey, when I f- get an avails from an artist, and they'll say, yes, your eighth hold, because there's like seven holds before me, you know, so and that's really typical, actually. It's sa- same thing with the venues that I work at, you know, people ask me and I'll tell them, you know, give them a hold. It's like a you know, a hold system. So... I don't know if that answers your question, but
0: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, especially international artists, I would say to a certain extent, Paradigm does book the most, and it's definitely an interesting perspective because they are on a short timeline, and you can only work with so much. And it's it's really humble of you to say honestly, like I don't want to book you because I don't have the right place. Why bother? Why bother? Why bother? John Cote, what about someone like Morton? You know, you were part of promoting booking him at Prism. What's your role? In actually linking that up, whether it be the research and discovery, do you say I have this connection? Do you talk to the venue, or what's that process like for you?
2: Um, usually, with anything, like it's usually like the people behind them. You know, it's just like, I mean, with that, was like it was through Prism. Like I known Sean, Winky, like it, for like a long time. Like I think fifteen years, probably I known him. So he's just like, John, you need to be part of this. He's great because I'm like picky too. Like half the time, I'm like. I don't know anything about artists, to be honest with you. It's really the people and the management behind them. So a lot of times, like, when I go to, like, a lot of shows, it's the first time I ever heard the artists. Like, I mean, it's kind of like you, you know, like, and then after that, I get more fascinated after you see somebody and see their talent, but it's usually, like, the people behind the scenes. So it's not even the venue. It's not even the artists themselves. It's the people behind them is the one that calls me, and I'm like, okay, let me research it. And then if I like their music or if I like their vibe, then I'll do it, you know? So because I'm stamping my name saying I'm backing them up. So it's the opposite. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I so, love
0: that I keep asking Curly and then you because you guys give me opposite yeah, answers. Like it's a a, true panel like, right now.
2: Yeah, it's, like, completely, I mean, completely opposite. So, like, I've been in there, like, since, you know, obviously with that, with Morim, like, I'm a true fan after that, and that's how I met Alex right there because, it's like, I met a lot of people, crazy people through there because, because I felt like his talent is like surpassed a lot. Like, he was probably one of the best DJs I've seen last year, you know, like live. Yeah, because he kept, because he kept my friends entertained. Mm-hmm. And then my friends are 21 to, to, to 50s, and we were all dancing together till like three o'clock in the morning. That's rare to find a DJ that can entertain that wide range of age. Mm-hmm. So that's what I give it to, you know? So, Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Clay, to go a little bit deeper, you book large artists as well, but you book someone on my level or someone like Luca, right? Or whoever it might be. When you book someone in Chicago at a certain venue, one thing that Music Trust does, which I've always really resonated with, was this idea of a sonic identity, right? That's a, that's a big motto of your guys'. What do you look at when it comes to Chicago venues and also out-of-state venues? And how do you really match that up with the artists?
1: I mean... It's like I'll use Chicago and San Francisco as kind of like the the contrast. So like, you get a lot of artists in both markets that you know DJs specifically that want to play a venue just because it's a venue because it's got a DJ booth and a sound system and they they've seen somebody they like playing there, but they may not be a right fit. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of like where the where the wall for that to sort of make sure the venue kind of has the right artists in there for what they want, what they're going for. Um, you know, in with Chicago we're a little bit more open format, we're a little bit more house driven. Um and it, it works here. And in San Francisco it's it's interesting because like they're very they're almost more passionate about their local music than we are, it seems like. Like our house music really? is sort of like their hyphy shit. Yeah. But it's it's the weirdest shit when you play out there. I mean, it's you see guys drop like an E forty track or keep to sneak and it's not just four or five people in the club that go nuts; it's the whole place that starts like vibrating. But if you if we weren't there and if we weren't putting that up, and it's like okay, like we put in a house DJ at a spot that's known for that kind of like you're playing open format hip hop, like it's it's gonna be bad. I mean, we've seen that before. Like not our events, but we've been to venues and we've specked where it's like we'll go check somebody out, and it's a DJ that was thrown in without kind of any any thought process put in, mm-hmm. and he's playing his original dubstep to a hip hop crowd. And it's not a ticketed event, Sick. it's a bottle service club, and it's like you're, you're dead in water. So I mean, from both ends of it, that's sort of what we've really tried to resonate with is DJs usually don't think about, from a local level, not ticketed big guys, because they obviously do, but the local younger guys coming up don't think about what they're playing or why they're playing it. They're just usually out for a check or a bottle or whatever it is that, that their end goal is. Right. Um, and I think that's something that we help them sort of realize and make sure the venues are comfortable with. And And
0: you're really kind of wrapping up here what I'm trying to end with, and that's learning from successes and failures. I asked you guys to maybe think about this before an event that you're really proud of and maybe an event that you want to forget and we'll start with clay here. What would be two events that you're proud of and you of course don't want to remember?
1: Um, I mean all the we've had shitty events, we've definitely had those events where you spend money for everything you're supposed to spend and you're supposed to do everything right, and the turnout is crap or Nobody buys drinks, but honestly, like, I'm not going to forget it because that just kind of goes onto my notes of, like, yeah. this is why we fucked Wish up. Wish you could forget right? Yeah, but, I mean, if you forget it, then you're going to make that same mistake again. And we sort of learned. Um, the event that, like, I truly kind of hone in on all the time is we were brought in for that Budweiser what or Bud Light whatever USA thing where they took over Gunnison in Colorado and they locked the town down and basically flew in whatever it was like 3000 influencers on private jets. And this is right when like weed was legalized in Colorado (laughs) and we played such a small part, but it was for us, it was this crazy experience that hadn't been done because it was an experiential marketing event that, you know, nobody could know about, nobody knew what they were getting into. And we kind of just got this envelope, you know, that's like, Hey, this is what we need from you. Here's your budget. We need a team of this many DJs, this many sound techs. Here's what you're going to be doing. And when we, from the time we landed on the ground, got in the car, got up there, but from the time we left, it was just we probably gained more information, more knowledge, more like dealing with crazy shit that we shouldn't have had to deal with. And like one example was, we were kind of acting as artist liaisons in there, and they, we didn't know who the artists were. So when we went in, we were still blind. So they had everyone from like Questlove, Vanilla Ice, Little John, like so we started kind of figuring it out. But we didn't know what capacity these guys were gonna be, we were gonna be working with them in. So Vanilla Ice's role was he was going to serve ice cream out of a ice cream truck and then perform in the ice cream truck. Well that was the that was like the fuck up that we learned from is because like we were like yeah like you're going to perform in the ice cream truck it was loaded out with speakers but he was pissed because they had brought in g Easy to perform on this massive stage and he was mad that the other white rapper got the bigger stage that was younger um, and shit like that and then same with like Little John it's like you know we were in a room this big in a basement bar in Colorado and they just basically brought them on stage, and we're like, "What are we doing with them?" It's like, "Oh, it's hip hop karaoke." Like, I hope you have like a karaoke system set up with all your guys. It's like, what the fuck. <laughs> so it's, I mean, like that event yeah. was just nuts because yeah. it was like literally one fire after another, right. and it was fun. Like it was a great learning experience. Like, and at the end of the day, everybody was happy. You know, all the people were stoned and drunk out of their mind. They were drinking Bud Light for four days straight. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's, that's modern-day Chicago now, I guess. Yeah, I mean, that's that's sort of like our badge of, like, we went through the worst <laughs> in the worst situations, yeah. and we got out okay. Yeah. So. Love that.
0: What about you, Mr. Cote? You've had a lot of different stuff.
2: You know what?
1: I, yeah, I... I
2: what about that
0: foam party? I know you remember that. Oh,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. At a state. <laughs> I mean, you learn from everything, right? I mean, I, I was in Ohio, and I saw a foam party, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do it in a state. And, then, like, there's, like, all these different... I mean, you learn from every party. I, I, I don't even regret any party, to be honest with you. It's like I'm trying to figure out what party I regret. And, honestly, every party is, like... At the end of the party, I was like, that's a lot of work, but it was fun. It, I had a best time. And then it seems like everyone had a great time, or else they would not come back, right? So, I mean, um, I'm trying to figure out what other parties, like, I, I, I made a mistake, and... I don't know. I, I just, I mean, I guess I would not be doing parties if I didn't like it, you know, if I didn't love it. So, I, I, I mean, and a lot of my parties is like more like a networking for me. So, it's not like, it's like inviting all your friends so you can see them again at one shot, you know, like a couple hundred people at the same time instead of like doing one on one. So, mm-hmm. um, so I don't really try to figure out what party I regret. I, I really don't no have regrets. Yeah, I really don't have any regrets yeah, I'm trying to figure it out what he was talking, and I'm just like trying to figure out like everything in my head, and I'm like, I don't really look back too much, to be honest with you. It's like I don't look back, I just kind of keep moving you, like, forward. Subco- It sounds like you subconsciously just keep moving
0: forward,: like. Yeah,
2: because the minute I start overthinking something, then you lose your instinct. You lose like what you're there for and what you know it was like you're doing it because you enjoy it. The minute I don't enjoy something, then it becomes like unnatural anymore. And so even, like, with you all your questionnaires, I didn't really read it, so I'm really bad, like... You, know, you I told have, me. You told me you're going to shoot from the like, head, but I, I said, yeah, I like, fuck yeah, man. I won't be honest with you. Like, yeah. I'll overthink it, and I'll try to, you know, oh, I, I'll overthink it. Like, I, I took a quick glance at it. I didn't really look at it, but, yeah, so, sorry about that. Yeah, but don't so apologize same for being you.
0: Same. I mean, you are, you are. <laughs>
2: okay,
3: good. <laughs> Love it. What about you, Mr. Curley? Uh, you know, I was. I would say exactly the same thing. I was thinking, like, kind of like what you said about failures i the, the every quote unquote failure it's like i've learned so much um I, I definitely don't have regrets i agree with you on that um and i and at the same time like what am i most proud of i, I wouldn't necessarily call it pride i really th- there's a lot of stuff that i really enjoy like my favorite thing is to actually what really drives me forward is to see people having an amazing time. That is like the biggest takeaway for me. To think that I have some kind of impact on other people's life in a positive way is incredible. So, um, you know, I mean, I could say this party or that. I mean, I particularly like some of the experiential stuff. The more experiential the better where, you know, you go in there and it's a like a holistic full, like it's everything. It's the visuals and it's the people and it's the venue and it's the music and it's the production and the lights and the sound, everything, which together, it's a synergy, which is uh, definitely the whole is more than the sum of the parts. And then people start to identify with that, whatever that is. Um, it, it's not a matter of pride for me, though. You know, I like I've, I I love being there in the trenches with the people and really seeing people enjoy themselves. I mean, that that's all. You know, that that's it for me right there. That is what it's all about. I
2: remember now.
3: Okay.
2: <laughs> it wasn't even a party. It was like I was part of something. Yeah. And I just remember I was so tired because I went out way too much. And then I remember Eight like years. I was just like, I can't make it to this event. And then like I send like a, a friend of mine out, and then he went to Walgreens with Lady Gaga to look for a tampon. What? So I would have been that person. That's a regret. That, that's yeah, a regret. that's a regret. If you think about it. Did and, he like, buy the tampon? He did, I mean he walked her to Walgreens to because she needed a tampon. Yeah. For like, sure. But can you imagine like all those moments? It could have it been me. You know, it could have <laughs> been that's only regret. See, like I'm like trying to figure out like it's not even yeah. something I did, yeah. it's something that I missed missed out on. This is why I'm, I had you on. Yeah, this yeah. is something <laughs> I missed out on because I didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah so next time.
0: Yeah. She's on her yeah, period. <laughs> you yeah. know. Plan ahead, right? Yeah. <laughs> You got a tampon on you at all times now, just in case? I I should, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, guys, my last question is just going to be a general piece of advice. A lot of people came here, and people are going to watch after, want to learn how to get in the industry, how to throw a great party. What would be your top one or two tips for how to do that? We'll start with Mr. Curley.
3: You know, something that John said that I think that it's resonated with me is, um, is getting out there and actually talking to people. Like, the people, I used to deal with all the time, like, fuck. Oh my gosh, dating back as long as I can for care to admit, Uh DJ's like, oh, you know, here's my CD. And I'm like, there's a glorified ashtray. I mean, I don't smoke, but, <laughs> but like, really, if you want to get involved, you need to get out there, start talking to people and being a part of it. You have to get out there. You got to meet people, introduce yourself, and, and that's the best way you can, you know, get moving. But the, the more people that you know and, and that you can, like, Connections that you can establish with people, the better.
0: Absolutely, it's 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 who you know and how you know them as well. What about you, Mr. Cote? I think we know what you're going to say.
3: No, I,
2: I just I, I think like just being upfront and being honest and where you are in life is like the best too. Like I I feel like, you know, even a couple of weeks ago there was a blizzard, like the last snowstorm. I remember like, if it was a beautiful night, everyone would have turned up but i remember even for me i was looking at the weather and it was like it was like the one of the worst nights we had in chicago where it's like the blizzard was happening the cars were over like all the cars were on the road and then people some people literally like said like hey i'm i'm going to be there and i realized that they took a train because i was following it they took a train from the suburb because they can't even make it to the city took a train then got into an uber and made it to the event i mean like just like your word of saying like, hey, I will be there meant a lot more. So like in my head it's just like, wow, it's all about character. Like, you know, having like you know, and in Chicago we don't need fame, we don't need all this stuff. If you say you're gonna do something, just do it. If you can't do it, just say, you know what, honestly, I can't do it. People will be fine with it, but if you keep doing it again, then you're just another flake, you know? Yeah. And I think just be more consistent and just be honest and have character. I think that's will take you a long way.
0: love that.
1: right, you, Clay? Yeah, I mean, kind of mimicking what they said. Just be personable. Be upfront. Um, you know, don't lead with numbers. No one gives a shit about your Instagram or your SoundCloud. Kind of just be the guy that, or be the girl that, you know, somebody likes to talk to and wants to hang out with. And if you can bring value to the table in any aspect, like, that's great. That's the that's the plus side. You know, that gets you in the door better than, here's my card, or here's my CD. I mean, I think Cy out there, like, I met him at a charity event. And, I see him now like every other week or something, it feels like. Um, So, a lot of these guys that, you know, even you, you know, like we met you, I don't remember how we met after dodging you for about a year (laughs) (laughs) via
0: email. I was like, who's this fucking shrimp guy? (laughs) You know, I mean, you were. No, I did it though. I I literally I didn't go as deep as John Cote with Instagram stories, but I certainly have, maybe. I, w- I met with one, uh, our guy, Ankit, right? And he was at one of those DJ networking events on a Monday night at headquarters. It was shitty weather, too. And I went there. I had things to do the next morning. I mean, my job starts at 7 a.m. And I was like, doesn't matter. I'm going to be there. This is my opportunity to meet people. Went there by myself. Didn't know anybody. This was two and a half, three years ago or whatever it was, right? I went up. I introduced myself. Even me, like, I could talk for anybody. I was like, all right, here he is. This is it. Hey, what's up? I'm Matt Sherman. How are you?
1: The Sherman area. He
0: was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. see your emails. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah.
3: And definitely don't ever be put back if someone doesn't remember you. Yeah. So true. That's my way of saying it is I terrible. I'm so bad. It's so, always it's dark. It's so bad.
1: It's always dark. Like, it's I think I can speak dark. for
3: these guys, too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a genuine connection that you try and have, and that's why I love doing my podcast as well is because... There are so many people in this industry that are incredible, and it's really, really hard to get to know someone in the environment that we do all function in. But I found that it's like when you go to a festival or a club with your friends you already love, right? You feel like you're talking to them, you're hanging out with them, but if you go to a place and you don't know people, it's like, man, fuck this. Like, I don't know anybody here. I don't know how to get to know anybody. So these guys are saying it perfectly, and I'm so excited that you guys were here today. I just want to say thank you again. It really means so much this is the first of many. We're going to continue to do this, guys. Topics here at the Virgin Hotel in the music industry. We're going to get deep. Um, so let's give you guys a round of applause real quick. Does anybody have any questions they want to ask? Any questions out there? Any questions? No? I, I asked a lot of questions, so there's probably not a lot of questions left. I got one. Oh! Let's go. I just want to know when we're going to get a John set. Yeah. That's a great a DJ set, I'm oh. assuming. Yeah, John. Like, like yeah.
3: We need a we needed John Curley set. Like, oh. I'll play the next time that John Cote asked me to play at his party. How about that? Oh, oh. oh. wow. All right, all right. Pressure's on.
0: <laughs> John, he's asking you to plan. Are you no, going to no, be able to do no. that?
2: I, I, I'm, I'm going to talk to him. We got some <laughs> stuff in the works.
0: Well, guys, thank you so much. Shout out to the Virgin Hotel and Roman once again. I really appreciate you guys coming. This was awesome. This is what it's all about. Thank you so much.
2: You got to talk about Galantis, though. You're opening for Galantis.
0: Oh, okay. All right, yeah. (laughs) I'm not here to promote myself. No, no, promote
2: yourself. I'm excited for you.
0: I am opening for Galantis at the Aragon Ballroom, March 6th and 7th, so y'all should get your tickets for that. Yeah,
2: I'll be there. (laughs) Nice.
0: Thank you. I'm not going to drop the mic. I wish I could, though. (laughs) Hell yeah. Thanks, Sherm. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys.